Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of Matthew. Today is episode 844, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 to 25. Let's read the passage. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, The teacher says, My time is near. I'm celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. He replied, The one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. This is the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew is writing this gospel, this account of the ministry of Jesus, to convince people that Jesus is Messiah. We're in the last week of Jesus' life. Began with the triumphant entry on Sunday, call it Palm Sunday. Had several temple encounters and encounters with the religious leaders. Then he had the final discourse with his disciples, the anointing in Bethany. And then we saw last time Judas conspiring with the religious leaders to betray Jesus. Jesus is becoming quite a problem to the religious leaders. They're looking for a way to get rid of him. And we don't know why, but Judas has decided to cooperate with them and turn him over to them. Now we're at the point of the Last Supper. Compared to John, this is a very short rendition of the Last Supper. The big points are the prediction of the betrayal and the Lord's Supper, where the Gospel of John had a lot of theology, a lot of teaching in his account of the Last Supper. So we'll pick it up in chapter 26, verse 17. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? We got to remember, terms get thrown around and used in common usage. And originally there was the Passover. It was a one-day feast. And then it was followed by a seven-day festival of unleavened bread. They came together every year, and so they had become a single event in everyone's mind. And often they would be referred to either the entire eight-day period as the Passover or the entire Eight-day period is referred to as the Unleavened Bread Festival. And so when Passover Unleavened Bread get thrown around, it's just the common usage of how people viewed it. So he says, on the first day of Unleavened Bread. Well, really, this is the Passover. It's not really the Unleavened Bread Festival, but in common usage, it was, it was called that. So it really... Festival of Unleavened Bread doesn't begin until the day after Passover. But they want to know, what are we going to do about the Passover meal? Now, there's a lot of work done by a lot of people trying to map out the chronology of this 
last day. The Last Supper, the Passover, the crucifixion. And so, depending on how you take certain elements of any of the four Gospels and put them together, sometimes it seems there's, it's hard to make it all fit. And so some people want to say, well, this isn't really the Passover meal. It's a pre-Passover meal, that the Passover doesn't really occur till the following day. Now, one thing, don't get tripped up on, and I think a lot of people do, is all four Gospels say that Jesus died on the day of preparation, Friday. And you got to remember that every Friday is a day of preparation because the Sabbath is Saturday. And you're not allowed to cook on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do a lot of things on the Sabbath. That was what people were always picking on Jesus about, was doing things on the Sabbath. And so Friday, you have to prepare for the Sabbath. You have to get all the food that you're going to eat the following day ready in advance because you can't do it on the Sabbath. So every Friday is a day of preparation. And sometimes people want to make it the day of preparation for the Passover. But the, it's just the day of preparation for the Sabbath that's going to be on the following day. So the traditional standard way to understand this, I don't see any reason to differ from that, is this all is taking place on Thursday evening. And it is the actual Passover meal. So the Last Supper is a Passover meal. And it happens on Thursday evening. So they ask, what do you want to do about this? In verse 18, go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, the teacher says, my time is near. I'm celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. This sounds very similar to Jesus's instructions for to go get the donkey for the triumphal entry on Sunday. So these arrangements that have been made in advance with some of Jesus's followers. It certainly sounds that way, but Jesus knows where he wants to have the Passover meal, and it's already taken care of, and they're to go see a certain man. Now, he's not named. There is a popular theory that it is the home of John Mark, and this certain man would be the father of John Mark, and it has to do with the idea that John Mark is the man who runs away naked as described in the Gospel of Mark at the arrest of Jesus. So you put a bunch of things together, and it's, it's a good theory, but it's just that. It's just a theory. But Jesus already knows where the Passover is going to take place with his disciples. Verse 19, So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. So it's Thursday evening now. They get everything they need to come together as this group and have the Passover meal together. Verse 20, when evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. Now, the way they sat around tables, it was kind of a U-shaped table, and you lay on a cushion with your feet away from the table, your head towards the table. Seems like a very uncomfortable way to eat to me, but that was the standard way they did it. So you reclined at the table. He's there with the twelve. Verse 21, while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Now, Jesus has been giving predictions of his death, and several of them he has said that he would be handed over. 
But this is the first time he said, and one of you are actually going to betray me. So this is news and very shocking news. Verse 22, deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. So this is deeply distressing. They love Jesus. They've given up their lives to follow Jesus. And he says, one of them is going to betray him. So they say, surely not I, Lord. This is a question, but there's an anticipated no. Surely not I, Lord. And you are hoping Jesus is going to say, no, it's not you. Jesus has supernatural knowledge and he knows the deep, dark truths buried in each one of them. And they know that. Verse 23, he replied, the one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. I think this is just worded awkwardly in English that was probably better understood in the original language. And normally the way that we read this is, okay, one of these 12 has dipped their hand in the bowl the same time as Jesus, but they probably all have done that. Just the way the food is served, the way it's eaten, they've probably all dipped their hand in the bowl at the same time as Jesus. Maybe a good way to understand this, and I'm not 100% on this, but I, I, I like this explanation, is the way to understand this, he's basically saying that it's one of you. You all have dipped your hand with me in this bowl at this meal right here. The one who's going to betray me is one of you 12 right here, a close friend. And so he's not identifying the specific individual here. He's just emphasizing the fact that it's one of them. Verse 24, the son of man will go just as is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. All right, the first half here, the son of man will go just as it is written about him, saying, this is God's will that Jesus is going to go and be crucified. That's the will of God. That's the plan of God. And it's going to take place just as God has planned. But betrayal is still betrayal. So woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. If Judas hadn't done it, somebody would. Somehow, someplace, somebody's going to deliver Jesus to the religious leaders to be executed. Jesus is going to be executed according to God's plan, but betrayal is still betrayal. He says, it would be better for him if he had not been born. This speaks of a terrible fate awaiting him. He doesn't define that, but it sure sounds like the prospect of eternity and hell to me. Verse 25, Judas, his betrayer replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. Now, every one of them says, Lord, surely not I. Notice different. Jesus doesn't say, Lord, surely not I. He says, surely not I, Rabbi. And Rabbi just means teacher. And we've pointed out as we've gone through this that in the Gospel of Matthew, the only people that call Jesus teacher are not believers. They are outsiders. And so the shift here from all of the other disciples referring to him as Lord and Judas calling him teacher puts Judas with the outsiders, the unbelievers. I think that's purposeful on Matthew's part here. So Judas says, surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. 
Now, what does that mean, you have said it? Well, we see those same words when the high priest, in chapter 26, verse 64, asked Jesus, Are you the Messiah? Jesus says, You have said it. Or in chapter 27, verse 11, when Pilate, the Roman governor, says, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, You have said it. So he doesn't exactly say yes, but it's kind of a qualified affirmative. He kind of says yes, but he's basically saying, you're the one that's saying it, and it is true. Now, in this case, we know it's true. Judas knows it. We know it. Jesus certainly knows it. And so when Jesus says, you have said it, Judas knows exactly what he means. And Jesus let him know that he knows what's going on. At some point, shortly after this, Judas leaves the Last Supper. The other Gospels make note of Judas leaving, and nobody knows why he's leaving. But then they leave the Last Supper, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's there that Judas shows up, leading the soldiers to arrest Jesus. So we see the big things that Matthew's pointing out about the Last Supper are that they're celebrating the Passover meal together, but bringing up the whole issue of the betrayal. And then he'll cover the Lord's Supper next. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through Matthew.